Hi, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Adam Learns Random Stuff. Today, I'm speaking with Chris Fetterspiel. He is the CEO and chief peanut butter lover of Blackthorn.io. And today, we're going to speak about a quite interesting topic to me. Um, Chris and I share a lot of things. We're, we're both cyclists. We both um, have come from some fairly difficult backgrounds, as I understand, which you might have heard from hearing my podcast previously. And um, Chris has been very, very open about his mental health. Um, and I really want to learn today, Chris, from you about how your own um, understanding and knowledge about your mental health has led to you and how you work as a CEO in understanding and, and working through mental health um, concerns or just mental health in general that exists in your workforce. So thank you so much for being on, Chris. Welcome. Yeah. Thanks for uh, you know having me on here. It's yeah. going to be fun. <laughs> Great. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about how, if there are circumstances where you might have run into um, in your in the workplace, obviously not any names or anything, but but situations that you might have uh, encountered where you know that you're from your own basis of your own um, understanding of, of mental health challenges and how they might affect people, how you that might have helped you navigate as a CEO when you might have come across that in the workplace or just in your understanding of how people might work and how mental health might affect theirs, their work. Yeah, I. Uh... My COO Stuart says I'm unemployable, and <laughs> I I um I wanted to start a company because uh, I don't like I didn't like the way I was treated mm -hmm. uh, by bosses in the past, and mm. you know maybe it's because I didn't like the way I was treated by my father. Mm -hmm. It makes me kind of intolerant of everyone. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. And I, I had some jobs in the past where the boss would yell at me like across the mm -hmm. floor mm -hmm. like, into my cubicle and like scream at me to do something. And, you know, it's not like I threw a can of paint in his face or something. He was just <laughs> mad at like, I don't know, something innocuous. And, um, I guess I was taking mental notes along the way of like, what does it mean to work somewhere that I would actually want to work at? Mm -hmm. And um, uh, I was diagnosed bipolar two when I was like 20 ish. Mm -hmm. And there's like a common uh, symptom or trait of people mm -hmm. that are bipolar is that they uh, sort of lack a filter and they say mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, whatever's on their mind. So I've tended to do this and yeah. I, I, I'm a bit more filtered now, but, uh, still do it with the, the, the caveat is that I, or the, the kicker is that I do it, uh, without enough information, usually without enough context. Mm -hmm. So I, I tend to say mm -hmm. things that are, um, uh, without enough information. Hmm. Um, but I'm I'm now like eight years of therapy into mm -hmm. talking about my past more or less and the things mm -hmm. I'm currently doing that screw things mm -hmm. up. And it's made it a lot easier for me to um, quickly realize that I was wrong. So mm. whenever I've done this in the past or even currently, it even happened this morning. I, I, I told a guy, I said like, 
why didn't you get me this information before? Like, I'm really disappointed. Like, I'm, I'm pretty angry mm-hmm. at this thing. And he's like, no, I sent it to you on, you know, September 19. And here it is in the Slack. I'm like, oh, crap, man. I'm really sorry for, for mm-hmm. calling you out like that. I was totally wrong. And um, I think uh, in it, in it, when we're like 100 people now and we were like 10 people. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a different type of person that joins like a 10 person versus a 100 person. Right. Much right. Bigger company where the 10 person people are like, they're a little crazy. They already mm-hmm. are used to jumping between lots of stuff. Yep. And they're more tolerant of sort of like insanity. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we've gotten a lot bigger, this is not really the case. And uh, I can't do my like super long Slack rants anymore because it's not productive <laughs> to anything. Um, but always like quickly understanding that I've done something wrong and mm. trying to do something better the next time. Like mm-hmm. a lot of times it takes me six, seven, eight times of messing something up to actually learn. You know, ideally you learn something from reading, but no one really does that. For me, at least, it comes after <laughs> like doing something wrong. Yeah. And I think that's helped a lot. Like the, the people I've wanted to work at the company, they've been here mm-hmm. a very long time. Uh, that's good. Yeah. People have been here like five, six, seven years. They've had like multiple kids here. And um, wow. I think it's a result of giving people autonomy and realizing when I've done something wrong and being very mm-hmm. open with them. But that also yeah. means that. I've ended up working with people that represent that kind of model because not everyone mm-hmm. is really open to that either. So, yeah, well, it's, it's, it takes to me, it sounds like from your side, it takes a lot of humility and a lot of on the, on the other side, it takes a lot of flexibility to understand, Hey, this might happen. You know, you might get, you might get knocked when it's not fair, but you also like the your ability to actually apologize for it and say, "Hey, I was totally off base," and be right on the spot with that. I think is really to me that's kind of that's almost more than redeeming because it also means to me at least, and I don't want to make this assumption, but I might that you would be willing to do the same for somebody else. So if someone else in the company were to say something that was perhaps not a um, hundred percent on the level or appropriate for the moment, they, you might be willing to take an apology from them knowing that like, you know, there's, there's that environment of flexibility around things where it's not so like you screwed up, you're done, you know, or, you know, the problem though is, um, there's only like two or three people in the company Mm -hmm. to ever point anything out to me ever. Ah. Like, uh, I remember being at a 50 person company and I was like mm-hmm. scared to talk to the CEO and like, mm. you know, I'm on here in a t-shirt every day. I've hung out with these people on all company trips. Like I'm not living any kind of like bizarre yeah. life or something. And I think there, I've read it somewhere that there's this, there's this essence that you can't really get rid of because you have like higher fire and salary control over mm-hmm. that person of someone's working with you. Yeah. Yeah. That it creates this like dynamic that, is sort of like unbeatable. So very mm. few people actually really tell me anything. We have apps that give anonymous uh-huh. feedback and you know sometimes I get some stuff out of that. I have like a virtual suggestion box that like mm-hmm. I have no idea who the people are. There's no like tracking or anything. Yeah. And it's rare that I even get anything out of that. So, you know, the opportunity to even have that interaction it rarely comes up actually. Hmm. Interesting. 
Is that something? It sounds like that's something that maybe is a little saddening to you in a way. Oh, like it sucks. Yeah, because I, more of I that don't know how to improve. Yeah, and it's also like a yeah. lack of connectedness. They say that like mm-hmm. uh, when you run, I mean, they put it in company context, but when you run like kind of anything, it's a bit lonely mm-hmm. because like you have to. At the end of the day, you have to make a decision, and it's gonna yeah, yeah, impact people. Like not everybody's always happy with the decision, but also like you don't really get the feedback. And I think depending upon like the type of employees you have, like if they represent mm-hmm. like a very big cross section of of humanity, almost like it's it's, right. it's very hard to like you know, share any kind of opinion on like something without someone getting, you know, in, upset from something, but I don't really get the feedback. So I, it's kind of hard to, to, to figure out how to navigate it. Mm. Yeah. It sounds like you're, you're almost itching for a more open circumstance and that it's hard to engender that due to the sort of natural hierarchy of the world in a way. Right. Somehow. I mean, uh, Netflix has touted this like radical candor, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, office culture, and yep. I've tried to follow the things they say in there, and mm-hmm. for whatever reason, like it hasn't happened. I, I, you know, it usually comes from the top, so I'm probably not doing something right. But I, I don't know. I don't know the answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting conundrum almost to say, okay, I'm really open, and I want folks to be open with me, but how do you generate those relationships so that they can create be created in that way? And also, like, how do you, you know, how do you let people know that it's okay? You know, I think that's a real, I mean, you know, and people who have been made it a goal, as a, as you said earlier, being unemployable, it's a really good reason to start a company. But like, when you made it a goal to be employable, because you're like, you know, I, I got to support my family, I got to do all this stuff, like, taking risks becomes harder, you know? Yeah. It is true. It's harder to give that feedback, I guess, to the CEO. But um, I really value it when the, the few people tell me because it does help me to improve. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's also like what kind of feedback you're talking about can be tricky, too. Like that's, you know, <laughs> if, yeah, if they're I mean, like, well, I-, I like when people point out something to me when I'm like, you know, Chris, you approached this in a way that like got me upset or. Oh. You you said these things, but you didn't know these other things that we were already doing in the background and you made all mm-hmm. these assumptions like those kind of things have been helpful. Yeah, well, that that makes sense because it, it sounds to me like it's incorporating work that you're doing in general for yourself in order to be more aware of those things. So but the, the tricky part is that people who are. To a certain degree, feel like you have control over them are unlikely or less likely to sort of engage in that way because they're afraid, you know, and it sounds like models that you have might be similar to models that a lot of us have of having somebody very authoritarian in your family who broke no disagreement. Um, Yeah, I mean, a lot of people's inherent responses come from childhood. Like if something's triggering them, if they have like a outsized reaction to something, then it's, you know, it's pretty common, but I, I didn't grow up this way, but I understand if you come from a pretty loving family, that doesn't really happen so often. But if you, you <laughs> come from abuse or have some like some trauma that happened in life mm-hmm. or you had some life experience that, that caused that, like certain things can easily trigger a, a reaction. I know the same thing is it's, it's happened to me a lot mm-hmm. um, in, in dealing with certain people in the business. I, I um, have had uh, reactions that have been far too severe mm-hmm. and uh, uh, I've wanted to 
fired people. I've gotten in arguments with people. Mm -hmm. And um, it often takes me some time to realize uh, that my reaction was far too much. Mm. And then I have to mm -hmm. uh, backpedal if I want that relationship to get better. And, and generally, uh, the, the backpedaling does uh, help the relationship to get better. I mean, like, uh, yeah. You know, yeah, scars, they take like 10 years to go away. I don't know if they ever really go away, but mm -hmm. at least it helps. Well, sometimes, I mean, I, I talk about this with my wife sometimes. Sometimes we got to have a fight to work something out. Like we're like, yeah. we're, we're kind of grinding through things and we're kind of going along, but there's like something that's there at the center. That's kind of like, just, you're not quite hitting the marks. And when we actually have a disagreement about it, and maybe it's not pleasant for a little while, but then we're able to sort of come together and be like, oh, okay, actually. And that reinforces the bond. Right. Yeah. And exactly. that, but that's really tricky to navigate in the workspace. Um, yeah. My, my wife and I try to um, address things in real time. Mm-hmm. Because I, I know that when I hold something, it ends up, yeah. I ended up like taking it out of her, take, taking it out on her in some like passive aggressive way, mm -hmm. or I'll start to resent her about something. And um, yeah, sometimes I, I, I don't understand my feelings yet. I just know something's bad. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I'll just say like, I don't know what it is. I just, that, that, that really like rubbed me the wrong way. And I, I don't have the answer, but it, it, it made me angry. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know why. If I let you figure out, if I yeah. figure out why, then I'll let you know. But right now, I, right. I have no idea. Yep. Yeah, that's a. I I I live that very regularly. Where I'm like, I don't know why I'm so grumpy right now. I don't know why I'm upset about this, but I need some time to think about it. And yeah. let's you know, let's helps. come back to it when I've figured it out. Maybe and maybe it's like not really anything you did. Uh, yeah, I mean, it could be the triggering thing. It's usually yeah. like some some like. Something on a scale of 10 it would be like a one. But for some reason, right. the reaction was like a seven. And it happens commonly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, you know, I don't know if you, um, it may be even cliched to bring up Brene Brown at this point, but I don't know if you read any of her stuff. But one of the things that I found illustrative that she talked about was the idea of chandeliering, where you basically mm. just hit the ceiling over something that you're like, wait, what? Like, you know, if you're ostensibly like if you're like thinking about it rationally and taking yourself outside of the moment, you're like, why in the heck did I get upset about that? That doesn't make any sense. But I just hit the hit the chandelier and the the flip side of that for the other person is they're like, oh, crap, are they going to hit the chandelier over stuff? You know? Yeah. I mean, it, for me, it's always triggering something from childhood. I can usually bring yeah. it back to something. Yep. Yeah. I think that's a it's unfortunately fairly common. I certainly have very similar, um, items that happen and I have to I still have to figure it out though. I don't always like, I'm not like right on like, Oh yeah, that's because of this thing. And that's the way I felt. And so I feel this way now. And that's why, you know, always has to take me like a while, maybe even a day to figure that out. Yeah. I mean, uh, I did this exercise where I wrote down all of the, I guess you can define abuse in different ways, but mm -hmm. I wrote down all the all the ways I thought I was abused by uh, by my parents, and whether mm -hmm. it was like all the times like I remember when my dad like lost control and was hitting me, or mm -hmm. when my mom lost control and was hitting me, mm -hmm. and uh, like trying to paint the scene, mm -hmm. and I I shared it with my brothers, and they didn't remember. Uh, I'm making up a number, maybe like half of them, even yeah. though I know that they were in the room with me, and mm -hmm. they were at least four or five years old already. So yep. that's like, you know, yeah. remembering age at least. And 
they just don't remember them. I mean, they still have relationships mm-hmm. with my parents and I talk to my mom once in a while, but I haven't yeah. talked to my dad in like, I don't know, five, six years or something. And I mm-hmm. don't intend to ever again, but they're mm-hmm. like, they talk to him like twice a week. Uh-huh. So it creates like this weird mm. uh, dynamic there. So it's, yeah, it's put distance between us for sure. That's tough. That's tough with the distance. I know that, you know, that can be, um, really hard when, and, and honestly, like I know from my own life that not having a memory of things is very, very prevalent. I'm, I, my memory, you know, I basically, I've been in EMDR therapy for the last year and a half, Mm. just trying to remember stuff, not just doing a lot of other work, but you know, that's a big part of it is like, I just like huge swaths of life that aren't remembered. Yeah. I, um, I had a dog that I got as a puppy. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't really have a connection with the dog. Yeah. And I ended up giving the dog away after like three years to my friends and they mm-hmm. still have the dog. And my therapist said like, who gives away a dog? And for years, like that was the, the comment. Like, oh, I, man. I don't have the empathy that I think that a lot of people do or the, mm. the connections to things. And it's, it's kind of easy for me to get into a friendship quickly and get out of a friendship mm. quickly, which is good and it's not good. And just the other day, I was recounting that I had, you know, I remember that I had dogs when I was younger, mm-hmm. but I didn't remember that my mom gave them away after we had them for like two or three years, which oh, follows almost the exact same formula yeah. of when yeah. I had the dogs. Because I remembered having the dogs, but for whatever reason, I could never put it together that I gave away the dog because it was like a known thing in my family. My mom gave away her dogs when I was like, I don't know, 15 mm-hmm. or something. And I, I didn't have a connection with one of the dogs, so I kind of didn't care. But I did have a connection with the other one, and I, I mm-hmm. you know, I still kind of miss that dog. Well, I mean, you know, um, I'm a huge pet person, obviously, and my family is organized around that. So, like to me, that's massive trauma. <laughs> Somebody giving away your dog is huge. I mean, I might have had some difficulties, but I still had a French bulldog that slept on my bed pretty much every night until I was 13. <laughs> yeah, that would do it. it- my mom gave away the dogs when um, uh, my parents got divorced. Things were quite mm-hmm. bad. Yeah, uh, my mom moved us really far mm. away from where we spent our childhood. Yeah, kind of sucked because yeah, I lost my friends, moved away from my dad, who at the time I didn't like him anyway. Uh, mm-hmm. But then lost the dogs. Was in yeah. the house. It was like a lot of change at once. That's so. a huge. That's a huge disrupt. Yeah, so I I think I didn't give that much focus on the dogs at the time because I had so much. Mm-hmm. other stuff that was like uh right. impacting me more so i you know i now have two cats with my wife and yeah you know i want to have them until one of us dies you know <laughs> either, either i die or they die first but uh you know hopefully i don't die before them they'll be a little bit young but uh i have a quite good connection with both of them that's great yeah i mean I, pets to me are a huge part of mental health maintenance it can be it can be um we lost both of our cats last winter. Um, we oh, have another sorry one now. To hear that. And, and yeah, thank you. It was it was definitely, the, especially the one that we adopted when we were lived in Ireland and was 16 years old. And we thought it was going to pass and took another six months from the time and was like- seems pretty good. That cat had a will to live. <laughs> he was not going to go. He was eating until his last minutes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I-, I I think animals are, and I think in particular, if you've, if you grow up in a situation where you might find it difficult to connect with people in your household, 
and you're feeling like there's not somebody there for you, the pets can make a huge difference because they're, you know, they are usually like they bond in a way that's different than humans bond. And sometimes like when things are really difficult when you're a kid, that pet is a real keystone. So yeah, I, I think I gravitated to computers because mm-hmm. it's a way for me to make money without having to interact with people that much. Mm-hmm. And uh, I do a lot of Zoom meetings, but it's not the same as interacting with people in person. It's like, um, yeah, I don't know. It adds something I'm actually not that comfortable with. And starting in like uh, third grade, I think I was like nine, my parents got me a computer and I ended, mm-hmm. ended up spending almost all my time on the computer or in the woods. And now my mm-hmm. wife and I bought a, <laughs> bought a house in the woods. And now I spend all my time either biking or running in the woods or I'm on my mm-hmm. computer. And I think it comes from childhood because it's like they're both like safe places to me. They're right. quiet. No right. one's bothering me. And uh, like I tell my wife, I, I need time like away. Like I, I have to go do these yeah. long sport things or I have to be on my computer. And like she, she gets it. And, uh, yeah. you know, it's I think it's a result of being in a in a home that was um, really uh, scary. Mm-hmm. Like my, I would see my dad driving home in the, we had a long driveway at the time and I mm-hmm. see him driving and I would be downstairs and I would run upstairs and, and lock the door because I, wow. I knew he was coming and it was always like nine, nine thirty. He would always want to have a drink. He wasn't mm-hmm. like having like, you know, 15 drinks in a night, but he would have two, three drinks every single right. night. And he would always have this like, like a quick to anger response. Mm-hmm. And so you know, I eventually learned to stay out of his way and mm-hmm. you know when I, when I got a little older and wasn't so scared of the basement I moved to the basement and mm-hmm. then no one really went down there ever yep. and I just spent all my time on the computer and that helped me understand computers better I think mm-hmm. yeah that's uh the woods is definitely a familiar story I the same thing I live in the woods and yeah. uh I escaped I grew up in Ithaca New York which is just south of where I am now where Cornell yeah, Ithaca is gorgeous Yep. And that's my backyard was one of those gorges, um, six mile Creek. So I spent like, I know that place, like the back of my hand, I spent pretty much from the minute I got home from school until it got dark. I was there. Nice. You know, it's very pretty up there. Yeah. And it's that, that safety of like, and sometimes I'd be out with friends. It wasn't always just alone, but the safety of like, this is a place that I feel comfortable and I feel like I have mastery in, which I think is something really important for kids in difficult situations to feel like this is my place. This is a place I have mastery in. This is a place I know where that rock is, where I can cross that stream. I know where, you know, this thing is. I know, I know this place and I have mastery of it on my own, you know, as a kid, especially in, in chaotic situations. Yeah. Like, uh, that's kind of how I manage my computer. And even Mm -hmm. now using a Mac, when I see people's like the bottom bar of their Mac and it's like, full size mm-hmm. across the bottom with all uh, the icons that they come with their computer with. And mm-hmm. I just think like, this is a person that, you know, either isn't anxious, so they don't really mm-hmm. care and they're like more comfortable with it, which is yeah. kind of envious, uh, or they haven't taken the time to explore and like make it mm-hmm. their own. And right. I don't know, maybe that's a weird bias I have towards that, but this is kind of the impression I get. No, I, I, I kind of hear you on that. I, you know, I also 
similarly somewhat retreated into computers. I've had I've had them for a very long time, and I have probably <laughs> twenty in my house right now. Um, so, you know, some of them are like little Raspberry Pis, like the ones behind me. I use as music players, but still, you know, I, I get that and the sort of tinkering aspect of things, like getting into like messing with stuff. You know, whether that be computer programming or I've restored a whole bunch of uh, old tube electronics as well as other stuff. Like I, I, I get that, like being able to get into something and just exercise your mind and make something work that didn't work before. The satisfaction of that, for some reason, is really appealing. Yeah, it is. It is nice to bring that to life. And um, for, for some reason, I, I've gotten more into like a, like the more ancient creative kind of things with uh, hmm. like painting and writing. Oh, awesome. And like, I have a bunch of oil paintings back there I've done. I have like a little easel oh. and painting I was doing yesterday. And I started writing like a sci-fi book over the weekend. I finally <laughs> got some sentences to the page. Nice. And uh, it's taken me a while to get to this point because previously all I could really do uh, being able to focus was mm -hmm. being on a computer. For some reason, it's like calming to me and <laughs> then being in the woods. But other than that, like I have very mm -hmm. poor reading comprehension and it's mm. very hard for me to focus on like most anything mm. so it, it's taken a while for me to to be able to to focus on these things and even the, the books i still read they're all i don't know technically what they are but i would guess like an eighth grade reading level because mm. once things start to get too descriptive like the mm -hmm. tolkien books i just i, I can't follow what they're saying I, I get into like two pages and i like lose it it is like too many proper nouns it's too descriptive like i I can't follow it. My therapist tells me to read like troll up the way the way we were now or however you say that. And I mm. I read the first two pages. I, I I can't I can't understand it. I can't get it. So I mm. I read this more like basic sci-fi stuff because I can follow the story and I like kind of getting lost mm -hmm. in it. And um you know, I, I don't know if this has to do with my ability to pay attention or something else, but mm. I yeah, I mean it's it's an interesting question for sure it's funny because i also read a, a lot of basic sci-fi stuff just for fun like it's not like you know i'm not reading this because i think it's intellectually growing me at all it's entertainment and yeah. i'm okay with that you know and i don't care if it's i mean sometimes it's not even all that well written sometimes it is there's some writers that are good writers and some writers that are bad writers but the stories are what get me anyways you know and there certainly like are writers that i love but I like the journeys. I like the. Um, mm -hmm. I get fascinated by where people's minds take them with the mm -hmm. creativity and yeah. In in getting more into oil painting, mm -hmm. um, there's like I don't know two types of. I, I like painting that's a bit more real rather than like uh, mm -hmm. something out there. I guess. Gotcha. There, there's two types I, I've kind of seen. There's like either you're going for something extremely realistic, or you take a concept. And you look at it and you, you you know what it is. You're like, okay, that's a lake with trees. But it's like mm -hmm. someone's adaptation using their own painting yeah. style towards it. And like uh, I, I've begun to, to find that pretty interesting because mm. um, I think the first thing that, that uh, I'm learning to focus on is how to do something mm -hmm. realistic. And then only after that, then I think I can like put my own blend onto it. So mm -hmm. I, uh, you know, I, I, I think that's almost like making software where yeah. like I, I work with the Salesforce platform and I first learned how to do like whatever that thing prescribes you to do. Mm -hmm. And then I learned, okay, I can make things on here and make them better than the, right. the prior right. things that are out there in a way that I think I would want to do them. And maybe that's mm -hmm. a similar process.
Yeah, it's funny when you said that, because that was exactly what I was thinking when you were talking about that different type of painting is like, that's like what you did with your company, right? You took something yeah. that, you know. We, um, uh, if you look at like what Elon Musk is doing, like he's making a lot of things mm -hmm. that never existed before. Mm -hmm. And everything that, that we're doing, it's all existed before. There's lots of payment software and event software. There's even mm -hmm. like co companies that were on Salesforce before us came out. But yeah, I created these in the way that we did them in ways that I thought they're easier to use than the existing mm -hmm. stuff was at the time because yeah. there were a lot of things I was trying to do with them that they just didn't do out of the gate. And I feel like if you buy an mm -hmm. app, it should do the things that you need rather than having to make more stuff on it. So yeah. we're not, you know looking at things necessarily from like first principles and creating things that like never existed. But I think we're uh, taking a lot of things and making them easier than they, they ordinarily mm -hmm. would have been and combining yeah. things. So you can get like a whole bunch of functionality under one vendor rather than piecing together a lot of stuff, which like right. other companies haven't really, haven't really done that. So I, I tell our team, you know, like we're not, we're not building hearts that we're like saving people's lives and resuscitating things. Right. Like we mm -hmm. don't have like some incredibly inspiring mission but I, I think people work at the company because there's something about the, the culture they like. I mean, the, the benefits are nice because mm -hmm. we have like this four-day work week and we mm -hmm. like give a bunch of nonprofits and there's like something there. But I think there's yeah. something more to the to the to the culture. There's something to like working from home. Mm -hmm. And there's there's something about like trying to make an interaction better that's somehow fulfilling. At least that's what it is for me. Yeah, no, I think that sounds that sounds just about right. I also realized that I should mention that. While um, I work for a company that does work with your software, this podcast has nothing to do with that. <laughs> In case anybody was wondering, this is nothing to do with my official duties as a product manager for UC Innovation. Just saying. Um, I forgot to put that at the beginning. So it's, at, it's closer to the end. Um, but yes, I do. I mean, it really makes sense to me that that sort of tinkering, but also like adding your own special sauce to things, I think is really what it's funny to me that that's the that's what AI can't do. Yeah, it's um, in in starting to write uh, mm -hmm. sci-fi. Uh, I think very quickly a lot of people's themes are mm -hmm. going to get morphed each decade that goes by. Mm -hmm. We're starting to see like with uh, with OpenAI in the last two days, adding the yeah. ability to, to interact with their, uh, LLMs mm -hmm. in like, uh, more of a natural scenario mm -hmm. you can point the camera and interact with whatever it's looking at and you can talk to it. And yeah, you know, you, you put this in a more advanced, uh, machine that can walk mm -hmm. around and yeah, you're starting to get somewhere like rather right. quickly. And this is still like, you know, I don't know. A year after ChatGPT came out, like right, it's, right. it's, it's a pretty fast. easy advancement, yeah. right? So, um, you, you know, I I shared the first you know page or two of my book with some friends, and they tried to recreate it using ChatGPT using a few oh. prompts, and and um, you can kind of see there there's there's limits of the of the current models mm -hmm. as to how uh, creative or kind of different. It can get yeah. like there yep. is still a, a, a difference there. And it's, it's going to be interesting to see uh, if, if they can actually bridge to AGI. And when we we mm -hmm. feel like it's there, you know, when it, when it, it becomes like impossible to discern if it came from yeah. a person or not. And you know, I, I think there's always going to be a market for things that humans created 
versus mm-hmm. things that we know humans didn't create. Right. I think uh, digital art is kind of shot. I think yeah. uh, physical art, I think there's always going to be a market, but I think mm-hmm. in, in writing, uh, it's going to be interesting. I think there's going to be markets probably for both. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can certainly see that. Um, you know, like I said, I'll, I'll read almost anything. So as long as it's entertaining, so, yeah, you know, if, 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 if AI wrote it and it's entertaining, I'll probably still read it. I probably might feel really, bad about like, oh, it. This is, this is a pretty good story. You know, it's yeah. like, this is an interesting story. I mean, there's, there are certain, like I studied English and textual studies as one of my majors in undergrad. So I fairly comfortable with the like standard tropes of literature and how story arcs go and like, you know, there's not that many different ones. So, you know, within that framework, you could certainly, you know, start to create stuff. Um, yeah, exactly. But it's an interesting question of whether or not, and I don't know, I'm not aware of any literature that exists in that mode yet, but I'd be really interested to see if like, there is sometimes, and I'll go a little new agey here, a feeling of connection with the author when you're reading something. Hmm. Like I've been reading this series of like rather junky science fiction books that I won't name because I don't want to demean <laughs> them. But like, and the pen name of the author is a male name, but the author is a female. And so hmm. many of the characters are these like strong female, really interactive, really dynamic characters. And you're like, how is a man writing this stuff? <laughs> and until I looked it up, I'm like, it doesn't make sense to me. Why is this a man? Like, how could this? And then I'm like, oh. Because it's a pen name and it's actually a woman who's writing it and it makes way more sense now. <laughs> yeah, I, I've uh, been watching this show, um, The Morning Show with my wife, mm-hmm. and they, it's really interesting. They, they took the, the theme of um, uh, women getting mm-hmm. uh, sexually harassed or, or coerced mm-hmm. into um, some kind of sexual act or something. Mm-hmm. And then the man's view of how the, the man was saying like, Oh, it was consensual. Nothing yeah. was forced, and it's interesting to hear the the, the two uh, sides of the story because I feel like they—I mm-hmm. haven't looked up the writers, but it seems like it's written by uh, both women and men mm. because because uh, it it does take pretty distinct uh, yeah. positions in the in the way that they they review it, and it, it's the first show I think I've seen with with the interplay uh, kind of showing the, those two different sides, and I started initially writing the book about having like a female main character. Mm-hmm. And I realized like, I, I can't do this. I have no idea. I have no, <laughs> I, I have no idea. Like I, I can't yeah. put myself there. And I have a lot of respect for, for people that can, can do that because it's, I, I can't do that at least now. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's, it's your first try, right? <laughs> I get better at it later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Well, I, I, I think we're coming about to a close. So I wanted to thank you so much for your time and to spending time with me and learning about you and, you know, sort of your, your history and, and the types of things you're doing both personally and, and work-wise. And I'll um, look forward to uh, putting this online. Yeah, Adam, this has been great. It's been quite different and I've enjoyed uh, the chat. Thank you. Me too. <laughs>